0: He. <laughs>
1: The show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll talk about security with Chris Weber. A little bit later, we'll be hearing from Bob, Dr. Mac Levitis. And I understand they have security alerts because of him. I'm kidding. If he hears me say that, he's going to be really, really upset. All this and more on the Tech Night Owl Live. Yeah! So we're talking here with Chris Weber. who's co-founder of Cassaba Security. I hope that's pronounced correctly. Is that correct? You got it. Okay, well, I have something. I just haven't figured what yet. I'll tell you what's happening here. <laughs> Let me give you the background. I've spent a lot of time. I moved into a nice new apartment, the cheapest on the block, whatever. And they're wired for CenturyLink and DirecTV. So if I want Internet service, I have to call CenturyLink. If I want DirecTV, I've got to call CenturyLink and order through the system called Multiple Dwelling Unit. What that means is the apartment building has a satellite dish and a special area where they have a junction box, and each tenant gets their DirecTV. And the process of ordering this is absolutely horrendous. Now, I don't want to get our guest mixed up in my problems with CenturyLink because the real problem is DirecTV. DirecTV, since acquired by AT&T, their customer service is worse than ever, very difficult to deal with. A conversation that should take three minutes to resolve, with DirecTV, it's 33 minutes. Over three or four calls, so it's therefore 66, you know, 132 minutes. You get the point. Really, really bad. Now they want to buy Time Warner, And I want to get into the politics because they have a Department of Justice objection to that. And it's not the politics. It's the fact that no one ever brings up the real issue, which is why has your customer service deteriorated since you've had these mergers? And that's a big thing about mergers and acquisitions. Do you have anything to share or would you rather avoid this? (laughs) I'll probably stay away from that. (laughs) You should stay away from that, Chris. Okay. Now, we've had ethical hackers on the tech night out live before what constitute an ethical hacker
2: well i guess in a nutshell it's um somebody who is hired by companies to test their systems and applications to help them find vulnerabilities that might be exploited by real world attackers (laughs) i can expand on that a little more (laughs) feel free
1: to expand as you wish
2: (laughs) all right yeah so at my company for example We get hired by mostly large, high-tech companies out there in the world, some financial tech companies as well, biomed companies, to look at a new application or network that they're building, uh, oftentimes before they release it to the public, and we will uh, sometimes help them actually design that system to help build security into it, which is the right way to do it, and other times... or. Along with that, we will test the systems when they are in a state where they can be tested. So, for example, you have a Facebook. I know we'll be talking about that. So we have a, a Facebook uh, running, and it's a, it's a massive system. It's a, full of different networks. It's full of different applications, web applications, mobile applications, a lot of interfaces. There's a, there's a lot of what we call attack surface there. And we will help companies to review that attack surface and test it to find vulnerabilities. Now, when we find vulnerabilities, we will try to understand the impact of those vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, oftentimes you can, you can find a, a little vulnerability, like, you know, maybe a little problem with your car. Maybe your, your brakes are starting to go out a little bit, but it's not a big risk to you. Um, so it's something will call out, you know, hey, this is something you need to keep an eye on. You might want to deal with this in a few months. Uh, Other times, you got a major flaw in the system that has a huge impact, such as a a hole that would allow an attacker to easily extract all the data from your internal systems. Uh, So we try to help our clients to identify those vulnerabilities, show them the impact, oftentimes by demonstrating an exploit that makes it real for them.
1: Now, I want to ask you here, would things have been better for Equifax if they had a company like you helping them?
2: Well, I have to believe Equifax did have companies, probably more than one, like mine, helping them. And the thing about modern technologies and networks is they're just so big and complex. You know, they're, they're moving and changing all the time, like everything. Um, so what we would like to say in the industry is an, an attacker only needs one hole, uh, one vulnerability. You know, But the defense team needs to protect everything. It's a very hard job to protect everything all the time. So if you have a uh, very dedicated attackers watching your systems all the time, all they need to see is that one entry point and and to take advantage of it. And sometimes it may just be a short window. Maybe the windows only a, a few days or shorter, but I have to believe Equifax was doing the kind of work we do. We call it penetration testing and that they were probably building their systems with some best practices in mind. I'm just you know speaking off the cuff. I don't really know. But from what I understand about their vulnerability, there was an unpatched system on their network, and that what that means is, you know, usually when a, the networks are running, all their servers, these servers need to be maintained um, by being patched. Whenever a security vulnerability is announced in those systems, and a fix has been released for those systems, so what part of what we do in penetration testing and what probably happened with Equifax is we're scanning all the systems on the network, looking for unpatched vulnerabilities that might be exploited. So, if they happen to miss patching one of their vulnerabilities, it may have been because they had sort of a time to fix window that was too long. For example, maybe they found the vulnerability through their scanning efforts, and they f- and maybe they didn't patch it for forty eight hours or, or a week or a month. Some some people some companies have different uh, policies around how quickly they need to patch their security vulnerabilities.
1: Of course the thing that bothers me about Equifax, and it's not your issue, is that the executives cashed out pretty quickly when this happened.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it Equifax was everybody's issue, <laughs> honestly, like a lot of the um, you know the healthcare breaches of the, the previous year. Where a lot of not only, you know, are we t- talking about grownups anymore, we're talking about children and, and children's data and identity information is is has has also been breached through a lot of these hacks. Um, and Equifax was in a weird position because they were the they were the company we used to protect against identity theft and. Um, because they're the company that uh, monitors usage of social security numbers and through credit checks and, and and other vectors like that. And what I've always recommended to people for years is that you have to subscribe to an identity monitoring service like Equifax. you know, not just for yourself, but for your, your children as well, because uh, child data is also being exploited out there to uh, by identity thieves
1: i know and it can be really difficult the problem i have is the same problem i have with direct tv my wife was trying to have her credit freeze lifted Mm -hmm. by equifax and they put her through a merry chase everybody you called gave a different answer or tried to sign you up with another service or then they say well you need to give us your pin number and she says, i never got a pin number and they said, well, you have to write a letter. Well, I need to get the credit checked now. We're trying to move to a new apartment and they need to check your credit. And they gave her such a thing. And finally, what we got them to do is we got one person on the phone who was able to retrieve after spending 10 minutes to make sure she was not an impersonator, <laughs> gave her her PIN number. And then she went to get her freeze lifted. But the third party companies who checked the credit, it takes another day or two. Mm-hmm. For them to see it happen because instant computers do not work with credit systems. We got more. But we have more with Chris Weber. Really, we we'll get the to Facebook too. A little bit later we'll be hearing from Bob Dr. MacLevitus. A little bit about how Facebook impacts him, and about all the latest developments in the Macintosh Apple universe. On the tech, Night Out Live.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: That's
4: R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com.
5: I tried other brands, but I came back to
6: my sunshine.
4: For the best hot or cold pain relief, get the best. Get a Sunny Bay heating pad.
7: Sometimes life can be a pain in the neck or back
6: shoulder
4: and the best relief for that pain is a sunny bay heating pad did you know that the american college of physicians said that one of the best ways to treat muscle pain is heat therapy sunny bay heating pads are handmade with high quality can be used at home or at work and have a lifetime 100 positive rating on both amazon and etsy
5: why take another pill
4: many people use our sunny bay heating pads alone and got rid of the neck pain
8: long distance travel or long hours in front of a computer can take its toll on
4: your body why our homegrown small business at sunny-bay.com has tried to help people just like you. Get your Sunny Bay heating pads at sunny-bay.com. That's sunny-bay.com or call 253-678-1361. For hot and cold therapy, sunny-bay.com. You have been lied to generation after generation, time after time after time. If you follow the money, then you understand why America's in the condition it's in.
6: You you created the Star Reserve in 1913 through lies. You create 9-11. Through 9-11, then you're fighting a war on terror. And now all of a sudden you go into Iraq, which was another lie.
9: This book will open people's eyes. Pre-order now at KillingUncleSamBook.com.
10: KillingUncleSamBook.com.
5: Message and data rates may
10: apply. Remembering when to change your fridge filter is a hassle. Remembering the right filter is almost impossible. So at Filters Fast, we have some good advice. Forget it. Instead, remember this. Text BEST33 to 443, 443 and check fridge filters off your to-do list forever. Get it all taken care of for a fraction of big box store prices with a Filters Fast brand filter. To see how much you can save, plus get free shipping, text BEST33 to four four three four four three. With a huge range of brand name filters available, Filters Fast is America's number one online filtration company. And you can get a Filters Fast brand filter for a fraction of the price, delivered to your door every time you need it. No need to remember. It's not a matter of if you need a fridge filter. Why not text to get it taken care of? To see how much you can save and get free shipping, text BEST33 to 443 That's B-E-S-T-33 443 Are you living your passion? Are you pumped to go to work because you get to talk about or work with or do the things that interest you the most? Is working, playing, and relaxing one and the same? As long as you're working for someone else, you'll never be living entirely true to yourself and your passion. I'm Pharmacist Keith. Let me show you how you can work around your current schedule, create the extra income so you can live your passion visit radio.recordedvideo.com That's radio.recordedvideo.com radio.recordedvideo.com
11: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at owl.com That's news at owl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com.
1: So, Chris Weber is joining us. He's an ethical hacker. We're going to talk about Facebook and more, but we're covering a wide gamut of security here. So, Chris, you were about to say something about my comments with regard to Equifax,
2: I wanted to talk more about what you mentioned about the, I think you said the executives cashing out quickly. Is that that you said? It said was your concern about the Equifax issue. Yeah. It looked like
1: they did something with their stock, if you recall. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I'm so familiar with that, but I do remember they kind of hung their chief information security officer out there to dry, at least the perception we had sort of in the security community, which we felt was pretty unfair. Because uh, I remember seeing some articles that were uh, making their chief information security officer, which is an executive-level position at a company like Equifax for the, 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 the head honcho who's in charge of cybersecurity. And I remember there were some articles talking about how, all oh, this person was a music major at, you know, at school and probably shouldn't have been holding this position. And you know, a lot of us just felt like that was a really poor statement. I mean, because like, you don't have to be a computer science major – to be good at cybersecurity and to understand the issues, you know, and in fact, anybody with a philosophy degree or a music degree or, or anybody can can really excel in this industry and this and, and do a great job as a chief information security officer or any position in the field. So that's what I was kind of thinking of, but I wasn't quite aware of them cashing out at the same time as much as I was about them hanging their CISO out to dry.
1: Think of it this way. That person who was hung out to dry could probably get a cabinet post.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess we'll see.
1: (laughs) We'll see how that works. Yeah. I was just worried about it because it took a while before they reported it. And what it told me is there was another, what was it, Experian also had a hack at one time to a lesser degree that really your information isn't safe. Maybe you should hang your money under a blanket somewhere and put the blanket (laughs) in a safe deposit box. Wait a minute, maybe the bank will get hacked and they'll break into the safe deposit boxes. Smoke signals, well, maybe another tribe will interpret it. I don't think anything's safe.
2: I agree. (laughs) I mean, at this point, you kind of have to, we, we, we have this position in the industry we call assume breach, which is just as it sounds, we run our applications and networks under the assumption that they've already been breached by an attacker. And I kind of do the same thing with personal and private data. Just tell people, just assume that your information has already been breached. And I don't like to use the word hacked, but, you know, you can use that word, too. And that it's already out there, because it probably is.
1: (laughs) Now, did you watch the testimony from the guy from Facebook, Zuckerberg?
2: I did watch some clips of it, yes. And uh, I mean probably a total of like five minutes of clips of Zuckerberg and I saw some questioning of him. I saw one senator ask him if Facebook was a media company now because of some I think some uh, productions that they had made it, like I, was, I wasn't aware of. Uh, you know, and, and Zuckerberg responded that no, they're a, they're a services platform and they want to build technology that will allow people to across the world to share ideas and information. There, were, there seemed to be some okay questioning around that. I remember him and Ted Cruz, I think, got into it a little bit.
1: Well, I think also one thing that I noticed, I don't know if you checked the fact checkers, I think the CNN fact checker parsed mm-hmm. what Zuckerberg said and found contradictions between his previous statements and his statements compared to the same statement or a similar statement during the time he was being grilled by the members of Congress.
2: Uh, you mean statements he had made
1: prior to
2: the testimony? Prior to the testimony
1: and during the testimony. He contradicted himself.
2: Do you know what what is any of the specifics around those statements? Well, if
1: you give me a couple of seconds, my researcher, being myself, go to CNN.com. This shows you how we do live research here. And it's going to be fact- checking Zuckerberg. Let's, say, let's fact check Mr. Zuckerberg here and see. I don't think people realize he's a college dropout, by the way.
2: Well, maybe he just yeah, made some errors in his statements. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, I don't know that he's necessarily nefarious in what he's doing. But
1: Well, I don't know. He's obviously going to try to protect the company. I'm yeah. looking here and unfortunately... CNN does not allow me to, oh, search fact checker. Okay, here we go. Let's check it here. (sighs) Fact checking Zuckerberg. Let's see. No, it's not letting me do it. The CNN search tool is a little bit lame. Oh, man.
2: (laughs) I'm right. That's a (laughs) bummer. hmm. Oh well, yeah, now, now you make me want to know. Now, now i got to figure this out. <laughs> what, what were the contradictions?
1: Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to look them up again. It's just various issues to a degree. I think one of the things that played into his hands is most of the questions were general as opposed to asking for specifics. To a large degree, and I didn't see all of it. I saw it maybe an hour or two. He would respond, I'll have my team get back to you. Right, right. Which is, of course, the classic way of not answering the question. Another one is, if you're not really sure what the answer is, you will always phrase it with something to delay. Like, I'm glad you asked me that question. Right. And then maybe give a boilerplate about how wonderful that question was and how dedicated you are to the public. He contradicted himself about that British company, Cambridge Analytica. Right, right. He okay. contradicted himself about when Facebook became aware of them and what they did. He didn't come across too well. He's inviting legislation, which maybe he needs. I'm not a big fan of regulation because sometimes he gets screwed up. But the reason we have regulation in the first place is because companies screw up. And they stretch the boundaries and then they stretch the boundaries too far and suddenly someone says, well, you know what? If you can't do it, we'll help you do it. Okay? And then sometimes you get politicians who say, let's undo all regulations. Well, regulations are protections. Do you agree with me? A lot of times it's not just something to make somebody do make work. It's protecting the people because you don't want them to be injured or undergo some other kind of loss.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, you can see that's the intention many times. Sure. Um, yeah, and I do remember them talking a little bit about regulation. I think Zuckerberg said, did, did he say he would welcome some regulation? Is that?
1: Yeah, I but that? you know, that's also a way of protection because he's going to figure if they're going to require some kind of regulations, he'd rather be part of it because this way he could control the narrative.
2: Right. Right.
1: Mm So there's a big reason there. That's one reason. We'll have other reasons in a moment. We've got more to come as we talk to Chris Weber. Ethical hacker. Is there any other kind? Yes, there are, but we don't want to deal with them on the Tech Night Out Live.
12: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
13: Face it, today's electric power grid is more vulnerable than ever. From natural disasters to EMP attacks and hacking, the grid could be crippled for days or even decades in the most dire scenarios. Visit quantumharvest.net to see our built-to-last EMP-protected solar power systems. While millions suffer, you'll have vital power for water pumps, refrigeration, and sanitation. Now that's peace of mind. EMP-protected solar power systems for every need and budget. See our full range at quantumharvest.net.
16: Live with Gene Steinberg,
7: it's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next.
1: I'm going to ask you this question that's occurred to me here, Chris Webber, before we go on with our discussion about Facebook and everything. And that is Twitter. Is it easy to hack a Twitter account? Because a friend of mine had his hacked because there's a group out there. I'll show you paranoia. There's a group out there that thinks they have a dispute with me and has begun to go after my friends. They write letters. This is paranoia, folks, but it's true. They're writing letters to guests on my two radio shows, the Tech Night Out Live and the Paracast, saying don't go on. When I've done fundraisers because I ran into financial difficulties, they try to contact people or post messages, don't give them money. When I try to line up advertisers, they look at prospective advertisers for a show like this and write them letters, don't don't advertise. Is that paranoid enough? (laughs) So somebody took over, literally speaking, the Twitter account, of a colleague of mine who is a volunteer moderator for one of our forums and started posting nasty messages. Is that easy to do or maybe this particular person didn't have a good enough password?
2: Oh man, (laughs) sorry to hear that. That's awful. Yeah, you must have really upset them. They're spending a lot of time going after you. It's easy to the degree that passwords in general are terrible security protections. What often happens is there's a data breach, for example, like the the LinkedIn data breach from some years ago and other similar ones where user passwords actually get leaked to the public. And so once like an entire database of user credentials, meaning like email addresses plus a password for a site or an application like LinkedIn or something else gets leaked to the public, attackers will use that data and try to reuse that password on other systems like Twitter. So, if your colleague is reusing their password uh, across different sites like LinkedIn and Twitter, then yeah, it'll it could be somewhat easy for an attacker to gain access to their Twitter account. The best protection is to enable something we call two-factor authentication in these systems like Twitter and Facebook and any other system that you might use, including business systems like Microsoft Office 365. And what that does is it uses your phone or another application to authenticate you when you log in. So not only do you provide your username and password to Twitter when you log in, but you're sent a security code on your phone and you have to enter that code in along with your username and password. And that code is different every time you log in.
1: Now, this is something I see with a number of services for which I'm a user, where, as you say, I enter my password, then they'll send me, banks do it quite often these days, they'll send me a code, say, through my cell phone, and I have to enter that code. Of course, if somebody's got a gun to my head... And says, enter the password so I don't have to push the trigger because it's kind of, <laughs> kind of nervous. Uh, they also have my cell phone, so it doesn't matter. But seriously speaking, the two-factor authentication, I can't speak strongly enough about. It's easy, really. Just keep your cell phone next to you, and it'll send the number.
2: It really is, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I turn it on wherever it's available. And like you said, the, the banks especially are using it. They've been using it for a long time. Some of them force you to use it. Other sites default to it being off and let you turn it on, which is probably the right way in some situations. Although in most cases, we want to see applications having strong security by default rather than turning everything off by default and letting users turn it on because a lot of users just won't turn that stuff on because they're not aware of it.
1: And even if they are, they say, that's difficult. Right. Yeah. Remember, let's do this again, folks. This is the normal two-factor process. It could be done different ways. They can send you an an email with the secure code. But normally, it's your cell phone, okay? And you can set it up. Well, we can set it up with our email systems for the people that work with me. Every time you want to log in, they send you a code. They do that with Lyft and Uber, by the way, when you want to log in. Mm -hmm. And they send you the code, and you enter the code. It's usually, you know what, four to eight characters. And then that's it. And it's going to change every time. In the old days, it got to be difficult because they gave you, like, some kind of secure credit card that would flash it.
2: Right. And it can be a problem if you lose your cell phone uh, and you, and they don't provide another means for you to reset that code. Then you can be locked out of your account and have to go through some hoops to get back into it. But most good sites will provide you a backup mechanism for second factor off if you do lose your phone or if your phone somehow uh, craps out on you.
1: I assume there's an alternative then.
2: Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry to hear that the Twitter accounts getting hacked. I would definitely say for passwords in general, I always suggest people to use uh, a password manager, and there's a variety of them out there. LastPass is a popular one that a lot of people use. And what those do is those take the burden of creating and memorizing passwords away. And they create strong, uh, non-guessable passwords. The worst passwords are the ones where people just use, you know, something familiar to them, a word or a phrase or, you know, their, their birthday and their, their pet's name and stuff like that and combine them together. I mean, they can be okay, but the best passwords are the ones that are just complete gibberish when you read them. They're just letters and numbers and symbols that make no sense. And password managers will generate passwords like that for you and store them and remember them so you don't have to.
1: Now, Apple, by the way, has kind of a password management system going on with iCloud. And what this does is it allows your password also to be accessible through other devices on your Apple ID. Apple will also suggest a password for you, strong passwords, so you don't have to worry about your dog's name combined with your street address from 30 years ago, because somebody knows that.
2: Exactly. Yeah, Apple's got a good uh, keychain; key uh, they call it, that, that you know, works across their devices, across your Macs and iPhones, and makes it real easy. Yeah, that's right. That's definitely,
1: yeah, that's they make it, it, it easier, and you don't have to worry about remembering that thing, because it's being stored in iCloud. And that's important. Sometimes it's better that you don't remember anything, because then when the guy with the gun comes over and you say, "Well, it's an iCloud," do you want to shoot them? (laughs) Speaking of, imagine them shooting iCloud.
2: Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) But you know, once you uh, have access to somebody's um, keychain and iCloud, then you do have access to all of their passwords that are stored there. Usually, it is protected by a master password, you know, which will be your iCloud account password, for example.
1: And that password still, to access that account, it's going to be two-factor, I hope.
2: Yeah, well, good point. Um, Yeah, I mean, iCloud does definitely offer two-factor authentication, so that should be turned on but I don't think it's required by default. So it's something that a user has to turn on. Um, But I was going to say, speaking of password, you know, something we do in a, we call it penetration testing. You know, when we get hired to come look at companies, networks and applications um, is we will do something. um, It has another name, uh, some other names, but, Penetration testing just is a way of describing trying to break into a network, essentially, uh, often from the outside, sometimes from the inside, and try to take uh, some type of control over that network. So, I've seen a bunch of times where we have gotten access to, you know, the keys to the kingdom, like the the, the user credential database uh, at the, at a company, and. <laughs> Something we do in penetration testing is we try to harvest those user credentials, which means we, we want to find users that are administrators on the network, especially, but we want to harvest all the credentials, see all the passwords for the users, and then start using those um, uh, credentials to access other systems across the network.
1: Let's do our break, and we've got more to come on the Tech Night Out Live.
5: How well and how fast does Heart and Body Extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen.
10: My name is Ellis and I am 66 years old and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Two years ago I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. They wanted me to go on Plavix but I refused knowing the negative side effects.
5: Heart and Body Extract is a unique balance, synergy and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level.
10: Within the first month I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced and within two months I felt completely normal.
5: Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. Heart and Body Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Call 866-295-5305, 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract.
18: Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death,
7: know what's going to happen next well here's the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg
1: on the Tech Night Owl live we are talking with an ethical hacker Chris Wepper we're going to go back to Facebook, but this all dovetails, anything with passwords or anything else. One more thing before we get to that. We know occasionally people send us emails. and I know they do this with our other radio show on YouTube. They complain about the commercials. Too many commercials. Why do you have commercials? It's a network radio show. It's heard on traditional radio. They have commercials. That's the way we send it out over iTunes, YouTube, etc. But if you want to get a version of the show free of the network ads, we offer that too. For a modest fee, dollar forty nine a week. You can't afford a dollar forty nine a week? Just you know, give up the Starbucks coffee and go to Seven Eleven or Circle K or something. Whatever it is, go to plus.technideal.com for more information. Plus.technideal.com. Because of commercials, we had to interrupt Chris Weber briefly. You want to go back?
2: Yeah, I was going to say so. And in and the, in, in the many years of. Uh I get to see user passwords, you know, as they're entered, not as they're scrambled by systems sometimes. but And it's just sometimes pretty hilarious to see what people use for their passwords. I think this has probably changed over the years as systems have required people to add, create more complex passwords. But I would say that looking at people's passwords over the years is a way of like getting a peek at uh, people's psychology, their personal psychology. And I'm just laughing because I've seen some stuff that I can't repeat on your show because it's probably a little too uh, obscene, but some of the passwords I've seen are just hilarious. I mean, you can imagine stuff like an angry employee entering a password that has something to do with their manager or maybe uh, their ex-girlfriend or something like that. So when you enter a password, try to enter it as if your grandma's watching over your shoulder. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because most of the providers out there like the Facebooks and the Twitters that provide an identity platform as well. And what I mean by that is you you can use your Facebook account and Twitter account and Microsoft and Google accounts to log into other sites, right? So those identity providers, while they can technically see your password as you enter it and hand it to them, they should never be storing your password as you type it in. They should be storing what we call a hash of that password so that if an attacker does dump their credential database, they will not see your actual password. They will only see a hash of it, which just looks like gibberish to them and is not usable. It should not be usable to them.
1: What about things like Apple's Touch ID and Face ID?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. That stuff comes with its own sort of risks. Uh the touch ID, for example, now we now we're handing these companies something that's a, even a little more intimate than our passwords. Like I said, passwords can be intimate if you're just using like common words and phrases because they can give somebody a peek at your how you think. Um, but now you're giving somebody like a something more relevant to your bio your biology, you know your, your fingerprint and your, your facial structure. Uh, which carries some of its own risk. Now it's uh, as far as like the convenience of it, like I'm definitely a fan of the convenience aspect of it. I think the industry as a whole is trying to move away from passwords because they've been so problematic. and um, I do I do like face ID. I think that it uh, they Apple does some pretty neat things with it. Um, I know like for the family sharing stuff, they, They purposely do not allow like for, I don't know if you're familiar with family sharing on Apple's platform, but so like if my daughter wants to buy an app, she'll request me to approve that purchase. And then when I approve that purchase, I have to actually enter in my iCloud password. And normally when I approve, when I'm making my own purchases, I don't have to enter my password. I can just use my face ID. Um, but because Apple thought that uh, family members might have similar facial structures, they disabled Face ID for family uh, purchase approvals, which kind of tells you something. I mean, and.
1: Well, also consider this, too. Sometimes a father and son or a mother and daughter almost look like twins. And that's one of the rare circumstances where Face ID may fail or identical twins.
10: Yeah,
2: exactly. So even though they like the reason they disabled it, um, so like my daughter could make a purchase request on her iPad and then she could hack my phone and use her face to approve it, you know? So they disabled that, but she can, I mean, if she did have a similar face, she could just log into my phone with her face ID. Um, But she wouldn't be able to approve purchases because she would need my password. So that's like an extra protection that Apple took to prevent abuse of that attack.
1: Well, in a case like that, what might happen is they'd be able to log in, but anything that required a password over and above the Face ID would be an issue. But you'd also have to set it. So for something like that, with Face ID, they could use your credit card with Apple Pay. If they
2: exactly. you know, if they had access exactly. to your smartphone, exactly, that's right. They could they could make purchases with your Apple um, Apple Pay, and they could unlock your phone if they had to, if they could buy, if they could pass bypass your the face ID. So everything comes with a risk, you know. Uh, nothing's perfect. There's no silver bullet, but it, we're trying to find like the right balance of uh, convenience, easy to use. I mean. It's gotten to the point where everything's so like complicated, it's really hard to secure things. I mean, even just as a, a normal person, just trying to use technology, there's a lot of stuff to think about if you really want to protect your privacy. It's, it's not trivial by any means. I mean, there's everything from uh, how you use your web browser to... How you uh, use search engines, you know, to what Wi Fi networks you're joining and how you join them, uh, when you should use a VPN to protect yourself on public networks, um, when you should use separate browsers to sort of isolate uh, any potential vulnerabilities in one application that could affect another within the same browser. There's just a, a lot of things to think about.
1: What about using the Tor browser?
2: Well, I mean, so my experience with Tor is, I mean, I like the idea of of having that level of sort of anonymity. Um, I like that idea, but uh, it's just probably, and and actually probably not too complicated for most users because... They created just an installer bundle that kind of makes it easy, but it's you know it's become associated. It has very negative connotations and associations now. Like this is the browser that, that criminals use or pedophiles or whatever. Like it's it's kind of been relegated to the dark web. So it's 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 something that like people probably would fear using rather than uh, embrace using. But at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of VPN software out there and there's legitimate use cases for for using things like Tor and VPNs. You know, if you're in, uh, you know, a journalist operating in some hostile country, you want to get information in and out, you have to protect yourself. So something like Tor might might help you to do that at the same time using Tor comes with some risks in those types of environments because people know what it looks like when you're using that thing. So like a, in a hostile country, they would probably know that you were using Tor and that would look bad. Um, so VPNs can come in handy, virtual private networks, and there's a variety of those out there which perform, uh, not not a same service as Tor, but a, a certain level of an, anonymity by um, changing your location, the, the 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 place that it looks like you're operating from to somewhere else in the world, and also protecting your um, protecting your online presence with encryption from your device. All the way to the other end of the service that you're using. And encryption is the main protection we have online uh, against any sort of eavesdropping, so sort of spy versus spy stuff. So let's
1: break it here. We've got okay. more to come. I'm going to continue that reference with our guest, Chris Weber. More to come on the Tech Night Out Live.
3: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R O C K
13: O I D S.com.
11: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
1: We have to interrupt our guests sometimes for a piece of business. Go on, Chris Weber.
2: So I get questions about VPNs sometimes and that's why I brought that up, because especially when people are traveling and joining, like, public Wi-Fi networks or hotel Wi-Fi networks, that's a use case where I recommend people have a VPN. Again, it's virtual private network, and there's quite a bunch of them out there, and some, I would say, are better than others. The ones that are, are good are the ones that are going to probably cost you a little money. Um, you can You can also do it for free if you're, you know, pretty... Tech-savvy and can set up your own systems, but yeah, and VPNs provide a certain level of encryption online, so that when you're operating on what we call public networks, where there is no encryption, you can at least encrypt your own actions or your own sort of operations online to prevent uh, any sort of eavesdropping, which means people sort of are malicious network admins or maybe if you're in a hostile nation and governments. You can prevent government uh, snooping or uh, any other sort of adversarial snooping on your your online activities. And it can also protect against certain levels of tampering, whereas, for example, you might be in a location where the, the network operator has changed the the address for google.com. So you, you, you think you're at google.com in your browser, and it looks like you're at google.com, but really you're on some attacker's website and they're sort of harvesting whatever you are typing into the search field. Um, so VPN can protect against that attack as well.
1: You know what though? Some people think Google does do that for real.
2: <laughs> well, Google has a lot of data too, for sure. And search histories, pretty valuable stuff. I mean, talk about like psychology, right? I mean, you, you collect years worth of search history on people. I mean, how do you even compare the value of that to the type of data that, that Facebook collects, you know, years worth of, um, likes and friend interactions. And, um, I mean, you can assume beyond that, that there's actual content that people are posting and, written and image and video content. Um, one thing I like to to tell people, like, whenever you're sort of browsing the web in your web browser, say you're logged into Facebook on one tab, maybe Google on another, and then in a third tab, you're just kind of browsing around. Well, when you're browsing around different sites, sometimes you'll see like Facebook Like buttons on those sites or maybe a Google Plus One button on those sites. And so every time you see those and you're actually logged into your Facebook or Google account in another tab in your browser, you know, that's basically working like a, a tracker or a beacon. It's it's letting Facebook and Google know that you visited this site, right? And a lot of people just aren't aware of that. And as a result,
1: if you look at an ad or an ad on a particular product, like a new car or a particular brand, it will follow you everywhere like a ghost.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to click the like button on that other site for Facebook to know that you visited it. Just loading it is enough. And that just helps them shape the advertising content, you know, to, like you said, follow you around and maybe be more relevant or persistent.
1: Let's get back to Facebook again, because we kind of ended up when we started moving to, I think, Twitter about faking your login. Back to Facebook. What bothered me is I read one story where your call record from Android phones is being sent to Facebook because you wanted to upload your contact list, your Google contact list. And your contact list has names, addresses, phone numbers. It doesn't have your call record. Where's that getting into play?
2: Um, I, I hadn't heard about that. So you're saying that uh, your actual like call history is being uploaded to Facebook along with your contacts?
1: Yeah, what is that?
2: That seems a, a, a little too permissive to me. Uh, the The problem with the Android platform is that They do allow for a lot more permissions to be available to applications, whereas the Apple platform has a more limited set. So on Android, yeah, it could be possible where an application like Facebook could request access to things like your call history. Um, I didn't know they were doing that. I don't know why they would do that. I mean, I'm sure the more data, the better. For, yeah, for but
1: why do they care if I called my sister-in-law or my son who lives in Spain, except that he lives in Spain, therefore maybe there's some marketing reason to say, hey, Gene has a son who lives in Madrid. Now you know. What does that do?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they're a big data company. So the more data they have about a person, the, the better. I mean, if they see that you called your son, you know, every Sunday for the last three months or something, you know, that might help them to uh predict what you're going to do next sunday uh it's just valuable all that data is valuable in a lot of ways um especially for for their advertising and their advertisers because they want to make they want to make everything work better for the advertisers more precise more relevant to you more timely and more predictive
1: right but i just want to go and hang out with my friends on facebook why do i care about the ads i understand if you're doing search i understand that because quite often you're searching for something that relates to commerce but facebook you know i understand they're selling you you are the product but peripherally i'm not on facebook to buy products and services i don't think
2: i agree and i mean and in a lot of cases, some people don't really even use their Facebook accounts that much. Like anyway, maybe just install it and have an account and then what happens is by virtue of the, the 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 way the internet works and like I talked about the beacons earlier and you know, your call history and everything else, you're you're already giving them a lot of data and you might not even be using their service that much. Now, I'm personally not a fan of the advertising centric economy of the internet but it's become so pervasive because it be you know it, maybe it started with google you know it kind of started there years ago and people just became used to it i think uh jaron lanier wrote a great book called who owns the future where he talks more about the problems that we're going to see over the next coming years with this mentality of advertising Uh, the advertising economy on the internet and how we could try to change it if we went more with a micropayments-based economy instead and actually choose to pay for the services that we use rather than just allow these services to be quote-unquote free where we become the product like you said and then all of a sudden hundreds and thousands of third parties all have our data because they're all on Facebook's platform. I mean, it's it's beyond just Facebook having our your data. You know, that's the whole thing about the, the Cambridge Analytica, and that that's just one company that got caught in the in the crosshairs. There were tons of other companies that had that same amount of data or could have had that same amount of data, and these companies and these businesses they they were all accessing data across the Facebook platform. Um, granted, they don't have the same level of data. They don't have the data that Facebook has, but they could get uh, huge amounts of data from the platform as well, just like Cambridge Analytica did. So the thing about Cambridge Analytica was there was an app that was built. It was, I think, like a personality quiz. And the person who built it didn't work at Cambridge Analytica originally. It was, like, separate from them. And they got about 270 thousand people right to install this app and do the personality quiz. And they used this—they used this uh, permission that Facebook provided at the time called the friends permission.
1: One more segment with our guest Chris Weber on the Tech Night Out live. <laughs>
3: That's
19: R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't.
9: With uncertain times in the United States, it's only prudent to consider storing precious metals in a safe place outside of our borders. At Miles Franklin Limited, we have done just that for you. Partnered with the most respected storage company in the industry, Miles Franklin Limited is proud to offer the only fully insured private safe deposit box system in North America, held in Vancouver and Toronto. Send us your previously purchased precious metals, or have one of our brokers help you purchase something new. Questions? Please call one of our experienced brokers at 866 485 4346. Solid foundational storage partnered with the most respected name and security. That's Miles Franklin Limited. Celebrating our 29th year in business without ever receiving a customer complaint. Call us at 866 485 4346. Again, that's 866 485 4346. Miles Franklin Limited. A name you can trust.
14: We'd like to hear from you. If you have
11: any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at Tech Night Owl.com. That's news at Tech Night Owl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at Tech Night Owl.com slash radio. That's Tech Night Owl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes.
1: We were talking, of course, about. All these Facebook-related stuff. You want to continue?
2: Yeah. So the, the Cambridge Analytica thing, which I think has been reported on pretty heavily, but you know they're not the only company that had access to these mounds and mounds of data from Facebook. What they did, I think, back in 2014, it was actually not the company that did this. It was a, a developer who built an app. He got a few hundred thousand people to install it. And he used this thing called a friend's permission, which Facebook made available as one of the permissions that could be requested you know whenever you install an app that wants access to your Facebook account that app should tell you what permissions it wants and then you have to agree to allow those permissions or not well you should always read those permissions and they're kind of self-explanatory when you read them and then uh, Android apps work the same way so always read those permissions I think most apps should require the bare minimum which should be like your email address <laughs> and that might be all they need you know but at the time, this, this app wanted your profile information. It wanted this thing called your a friend's permission, which actually meant that the application could see your list of friends and access their profiles as well. So because a few hundred thousand people installed this app and this permission was allowed, it wasn't able to access only the users that consented to the app, but all their friends. And their friends never consented to this. So... Suddenly, this app was gathering data on 50 million users across the Facebook platform. And I just want to say again that it wasn't just this app. There were thousands of apps that were using this permission at the time. So the data that was harvested across Facebook by third-party apps is out there in a lot of different places, not just Cambridge Analytica. I think they got all the media attention because of some of their... Predictive analytics, you know, they were talking about how they could predict a person's gender, their political orientation with like 80, 90 percent degree accuracy and this other type of stuff. So and also for the um, relationship to uh, Donald Trump's presidential campaign. But Facebook removed that permission years ago. They recognized that it was being abused by third party applications problem was, though, they couldn't do anything about the data. Once the data leaves Facebook and a third-party application has consumed it, you know, Facebook doesn't know anything about what they do with that data. I mean, the only thing they could do is have a policy that said, you will not share this data with anybody else or any other companies, And that's, that was part of their policy. But they didn't really, I mean, have a way to enforce that unless they decided to litigate it with a company. But like I said, there were thousands of applications that were using that permission at the time.
1: Right. Well, the thing here, of course, is that everything that happened here is Facebook's fault. Facebook's fault because they allowed the Russians to create fake accounts and support, let's face it, this is what happened, this is what's charged, support the Trump candidacy with people from another country. And it's not legal for campaigns to have people who are not native to this country.
2: Yeah, I mean that's another big problem with the platform is just how it how it can be used and, and abused. And I, I mean, I know I know people that work at Facebook and security, and there's some really smart people there that are really trying to protect the systems and protect the users. I mean, they have teams of people that protect against malicious content, or not malicious content, but just ugly content that you just don't that just nobody should ever see and that kind of stuff. And then there's people that are pr- trying to protect against hacking and abusing the system. So it's it just becomes so complicated that it's not easy to solve these problems. And it's kind of ironic that they're being accused <laughs> on Capitol Hill like Ted Cruz of being of being politically leaning to the left, right, in the way they sort of massage their news feeds and shape news across the platform while at the same time their platform is being abused to support the right.
1: I don't know. So are we saying here at the end that facebook may not have been at fault
2: oh i can't comment on their any i don't i mean i would assume they weren't doing anything intentionally that's what you mean like i but it's it's like i don't yeah I, don't, I can't see how that would have been the case i mean they were intentionally trying to manipulate the presidential campaign like if it, or allow that to happen it, it it's, it's it's pretty complicated, and I don't have that any information that I could really make a comment on that. I mean, I'd just be assuming things.
1: We can't assume things.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's fun to assume things. We can do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I can so, think so. We can assume things, and sometimes people will find out that what we're saying is true and what we're not saying is true. So let's just talk briefly here about the future with all the stuff that's gone on with facebook especially and i assume twitter does a few things are we going to see do you think some regulation to provide more privacy or has big brother got control
2: well i think big brother would like access to that data too (laughs) i mean it's valuable data Uh, i think that uh, yeah um there are some sort of scary scenarios that could play out. Phil Zimmerman is a, uh, or a legend, legendary um, cryptologist in our industry, industry who created this thing called PGP, Pretty Good Privacy, back in the 90s, which was one of the first encryption systems that allowed journalists in foreign countries to get stories out that would have got their heads chopped off otherwise. And, you know, that PGP has been used for years and still is used today. And he, back in the 90s, was getting hounded by the FBI. You know, they did not like this, that people could encrypt data in such a way where they could not access it. Um, And they were really, like, at his doorstep quite often. Um, Now, he wasn't doing anything malicious. He was just trying to provide something that seemed relevant and valuable um he's recently left the country he was he started several successful businesses um one called silent circle most recently which ironically makes these uh phones these black phones that are super encrypted and super secure and they get used mostly by government officials you know (laughs) secret service and whatnot so uh but he left i think and I i remember reading his statement a few years a couple years ago when he decided to move to sweden i think it was and He was like, this is just, uh, things are getting a little scary here in the United States because of the amount of data the NSA is collecting, I think is what he was referencing. And that this information will be available to the highest offices of government in such a way, I mean, beyond just Facebook data. But just imagine, like, we just want to be careful about who's in office and has access to all the information across all the systems on the internet and what they could do with that.
1: Tell our listeners if they want more information about what you do. Where do they go?
2: If people want to learn more about my company, go to kasaba.com, C-A-S-A-B-A.com, and we can then you can learn more about penetration testing and other security type of services that we provide.
1: Thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out
2: Live. Thanks, Gene.
8: If you owe money to the IRS, you need to hear this. The IRS is cracking down on those who owe back taxes. It starts with a devastating letter. And if you don't act immediately, you could find yourself having your wages garnished or have a lien placed on your property. But there's a solution. Tax 10,000 can help. Avoid enforced compliance where these holds on your income and seizure of your home could become a nightmare that just won't end. Call 800-239-9957 now and speak to one of our experts. 800-239-9957 is the number to link you directly to a tax resolution specialist who will negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Working through the IRS Fresh Start Program, all the forms will be handled for you. All you have to do is make the toll-free call. 800-239-9957. Find out if you qualify and possibly save yourself thousands of dollars, not to mention a lot of headaches. It could be the best call you've made today. That number again, 800-239-9957. The service does not provide tax settlement or legal services. We will refer you to a company that does provide such services. Often the IRS will not agree to any reduction in the amount owed. Not all taxpayers who owe more than $10,000 will qualify for a tax reduction program.
5: Heart-related health problems affect millions of people each year. Maybe you're one of the many who suffer from issues related to angina pain, high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, or clogged arteries. There is a solution that doesn't involve expensive prescription drugs that only mask the problem and leave you with horrible side effects. If you are ready to live your life free of sickness, pain, and fear, live your life with increased vitality, energy, and youthfulness, and experience your body healing itself. Then you're ready for Heart and Body Extract from Healthy Hearts Club. Here is what one satisfied customer had to say about Heart and Body Extract regarding his angina pain. I
13: haven't had an angina pain since I've been on it. The Heart and Body Extract is just so great. I thank God that I was led to this product that's doing so much for me and that can do so much for other people.
5: Call to order your two-month supply of Heart and Body Extract today. Call 1-866-295-5305 or go to HBExtract.com.
7: What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to The Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
1: We have Bob Dr. MacLevitas joining us, and this is going to be really a spectacular episode. How do I know that? Because he told me so. He said, Gene... This is going to be the most amazing, amazing episode you've ever had, okay? Now, just to give him a frame of reference here, because he was in the green room and hasn't heard the previous guest, we were talking to Chris Weber of Cassava Security about Facebook and about general security issues. Lots of good fun. Thrilling. And I'm going to ask you, before we get into some of the rants I want to do, because I schedule a bunch of rants.
21: You saved the rants for me, did you?
1: Well, yeah, because I thought you're the kind of person we can rant to, and you would appreciate a good rant. It's part of your nature. Okay, Facebook. Why is anybody going to stick with Facebook after all this nonsense that's been going on?
21: Oh, it's interesting. I I asked a a, a few younger people, and they don't seem to care. (laughs) They, they, you know, it's like, that's okay. Well, that's why it's free. I'll tell you something. Knowing what's going on, I still will keep my Facebook account and I'll still keep in touch with my friends on Facebook. And Mark Zuckerberg will apologize a lot more. And at some point, we'll probably have some legislation that says they can't do stuff like that unless they tell us first. And life will go on. It's the old, well, if you're getting something for free, what's the catch? The catch is, what is Facebook's product? It's you. So if you're not comfortable with that, then go find another social network with billions of users. But, you know, the way I see it, most people aren't that concerned with that trade-off. People who have privacy concerns are absolutely going to do whatever, you know, they're going to abandon Facebook or stop using it and keep their account alive like Waz so, so nobody else can be wise. other people will just go on, life will go on for them. I don't think it's going to, I don't know, there's the, the Leave, what is it, Leave Facebook movement? I don't know, there's a hashtag. There's a hashtag for everything. But I don't really see people leaving in droves, you know, I've asked a lot of people I know that are older, I would say, you know, over 40, and they don't seem particularly concerned they actually they, yeah well uh i'm learning to believe less of what i see online so there so
1: there i use facebook sparingly we have a paracast facebook channel two of them a group a community there's a difference i don't care what it is if you want to merge them you lose the content of one of them now i saw mark zuckerberg On TV during this congressional grilling, or I guess he wasn't being grilled. Yes, he was a little bit. And he has like a set group of answers from which he contradicts himself every so often. And also, he also continues to say, I'll have my team get back to you. He said that so often I felt he was rehearsed. If you're not sure about an answer, just say, I'll have my team get back to you. I assume there'll be legislation... And by being upfront, apologizing up the kazoo and saying, you know, we'll work with you, they want to gain control of the message. So whatever legislation comes forth, they want to have a say to reduce its effectiveness.
21: Well, you know, there's a fine line between legislation and uh, censorship. And I think I'm not sure that... Letting the government be the arbiter of what should not should be shouldn't be available to you through Facebook is the best idea either. I don't know. I I suspect self-policing isn't going to work because, well, all of those guys are dishonest and crooked and just want to make lots of money. But I'm not sure legislation will be the answer either, and I'm not sure that legislation can't be used to silence uh, certain voices that the administration might not care to have heard. I don't know just not comfortable with more legislation on something as close to so many people how would you feel if they shut your facebook group down because you were uh i don't know you know spouting stuff that that wasn't permissible
1: well i'll tell you what if mark zuckerberg grants me an interview exclusive interview on the tech night out live i'll say you can keep your facebook after that hold your breath Not this year. Excuse me. At my age, if I hold my breath, I may have a problem getting it started again. I must have done it to him. You see that? We didn't hear any response from Bob. You know, I want to ask you something else. Since you're in Austin and we have all this technology going on, I just went through one of these happy messes. I'm at a new place trying to get cheap internet, cheap TV, which is, ends up being satellite because they have always a lower introductory price. We, the only provider we can get in this place is Direct TV because it's pre-wired. But it's what they call a multiple dwelling unit, where when they built this place or sometime along the way, Direct TV and CenturyLink came in there and said, "Hey, we'll wire it, give your customers, your residents, a lower internet price." because we've got bundles here. We'll give them a cheap internet price, cheaper than if you just went out and bought it on the phone or online. Cheaper TV, you know, like a really, really cheap price, like basic cable or less. But they go through this happy dance we've had to play. I've never seen such incompetence. I mentioned this before. We're not going to get advertising from DirecTV or at and I've actually talked with two executive assistants, to so the president of at and and they won't help. They literally do everything everything they can to misunderstand what I say. I had to say the same thing 12 times in simple words. I'm a radio broadcaster. They didn't understand. Have you ever gone through any of that?
21: Yes, that's why I no longer am a AT I'm no longer an AT&T customer after their let's see. The first the first strike I think was telling me that uh, data was so much per megabyte. And I went overseas to uh, somewhere and checked my... No, not even overseas. I was in San Francisco checking my mail, thinking it was a penny a megabyte. And it turned out they misquoted me. I called to ask what it would cost me. This was when uh, before iPhones. This was on a, a Motorola... Uh, I forget what they were called, but they were like, they they actually had internet access and mail built in. It was crappy, but it was built in. So I thought I'd be cool and get mail from my hotel room on my phone. (laughs) $800. This was before Unlimited. Their last strike was Unlimited Data. They gave me a deal that was Unlimited Data on my first iPhone. Then they stopped offering unlimited data, but they grandfathered me and I got to keep it. Then they told me that they were redefining the word unlimited. (laughs) And that if I used more than uh, so many gigabytes of data in a month, I would still have as much as I wanted. It would just come to me much slower. (laughs) And that was, uh, I don't know. I think that was when I told AT&T to shove it and um, accepted T-Mobile's kind offer to come over and become a T-Mobile subscriber. And you know what? T-Mobile as a company is nowhere near as evil and horrid as AT&T. Nowhere near. If you're thinking about switching and, and you'd like some uh, company that treats you like a person or at least more like a person and doesn't try to rip you off at every bend – You might try T-Mobile instead of AT&T. Also, when I was in Germany, I I, uh, got on the T-Mobile website and chatted with someone to see how much I was going to pay for data from Germany. And it was zero in Germany and 110 other countries. AT&T charges like $8 million a second or a, a megabyte or a kilobyte. You go out of the country and try using some data, boy, you're going to see a big bill. A big bada bill. But not T-Mobile. T-Mobile actually gives me stuff all the time. We got a break. We'll have more to come
1: on the Tech Night Out Live.
12: Thank you for listening to GCN.
7: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
1: So T-Mobile likes Bob Levitas. The only thing that bothers me with T-Mobile, and this is why I stay with AT&T, T-Mobile requires that you agree to auto pay or they add $15 to the bill. You may not know that. And with AT&T, I get a discount on my basic service, the data plan, because I'm a member of AARP. No commercial, but I'm an old guy and I'm a member of the... Actually, anyone over 50 or 55 can be a member of AARP. They give me an AARP discount. When you add those two together knowing that I'm not going to always be ready to auto-pay. My price and T-Mobile's price, they're not that different.
21: For me, it was 100 bucks a month for the family. So I'm, I'm paying $100 less for uh, what I consider to be better service. And truly unlimited also. No, no, no like, uh, well, unlimited now means you can use up to 8 gigabytes a month, and then you will get slower, but still unlimited data.
1: Lower, by the way, is 128K.
21: It's too slow to stream much. It's probably too slow to stream audio. It's certainly too slow to stream video. Yeah. Thanks, AT&T. It was nice. We had a great relationship for all those years until you redefined the word unlimited unilaterally. That was it for me. And by the way, T-Mobile gave me a share of T-Mobile stock when I joined them, worth $43 when I sold it. They also uh, bought me a Frosty at uh, Wendy's, and they bought me a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. A couple other things. Oh, yeah, they gave me Major League Baseball for the whole season for free.
1: You know what? If I actually watched Major League Baseball, and I haven't watched baseball since the Brooklyn Dodgers left Brooklyn, New York... And I came to the realization that the teams were in it for the money, and they take the team to any city where they got a good break or a good bribe. I was I a really was small nice. kid then.
21: It's a value of a hundred plus dollars, and both of my—I have two friends who are baseball fanatics, and both of them offered to buy it from me. Except that you can't do that; it's kind of attached to your phone. But I mean they were willing they, they they said I'm going to have to pay $113 or $123, I don't know what it is a year, but it's it's over $100. And I thought, well that's very cool. And guess what? They also when I upgraded to the unlimited plan recently, they told me, "Oh, did you know that you get free Netflix with that?" So I save now whatever $10 a month.
1: Right, but what if you want to watch Netflix on another device, is it a
21: one-device deal or what? No, it's on all of my devices. It's the same Netflix account I've got now. They'll just pay the bill. So, if you want, for example, Ultra HD, um, I probably would have to pay the difference because I've just got the cheap uh, Netflix thing. You know, the cheapest tier. I think I pay seven nine. No, it just went up. It's ten bucks a month. So, it's ten bucks a month. I won't pay Netflix. And it's not 10 more dollars a month on my phone bill. It's the same. They just made a deal. So I get Netflix for free. Let me tell you about Netflix.
1: Very interesting. Cable and satellite companies are now incorporating Netflix.
21: I'm serious. If you can't beat them, I'm sure they make some, some money on that. Or maybe they reduce their churn, which is important, because the the higher the churn, the higher the cost of acquiring customers, you know. Mm -hmm. If you keep all your customers, it's better than if half of them leave every month. So maybe, you know, that's the deal is the cable operators don't want you to leave, cut the cable, so to speak, so they cut a deal with Netflix. Well, it's already on, all you know, smart TVs and stuff. My mother-in-law said, I've got Netflix. I said, well, where does it come from? She goes, I don't know. It's on my TV. Andy set it up, my brother in law.
1: Let me get this straight, okay, Bob?
21: If I want to have
1: Netflix on my TV set, I call Andy.
21: No. No, only his mother gets to do that. But that's okay because uh, I, I forget how many, but I think you can have two or three devices watching simultaneously on the on a regular account. Because you get to build your own login, you know, it's like my wife, my son, and I currently share one Netflix account. I'm pretty sure we can all watch at the same time. Maybe only two out of three, but that's never happened.
1: Well the way it works if you get the Max Plan with the four K, you get four devices at the same time. Okay, how much is that a month? I think it's twelve ninety nine or something like that. It's not
21: bad. Right. I mean, if you're like me and you can't I, afford anything, it is. But otherwise, no. I don't think that's what T-Mobile is paying for. But and I don't have a four K TV anyway, so I'll uh, I'll put off worrying about that till I get a four K TV. And it matters. <laughs>
1: well, you know what it is now is you can get a four K TV for as little as three hundred dollars.
21: I know but none of my TVs is broken. That's the thing is they all work fine. Both both of our TVs work fine. And and even for a couple hundred dollars to replace it with a 4K that that I don't have any programming for and that programming for is more expensive than programming for my HD or whatever they are 1080s. And uh, you know what? My rooms aren't big enough to to have HD I mean, to have Ultra HD. Uh, I don't know that I even care. You really need to
1: to get Ultra HD and see it. Say you have a 55-inch set. You need to be less than 10 feet away. And then it's not just that. Obviously, you have to have 4K material, but they do upscale. I have a 4K set here. I made such a deal with Vizio, and therefore I have the 4K. But I have only seen 4k occasionally, but i I decide look, I'll spend the extra three four dollars and I cut back on a service with my basic cable provider. I cut back on a few things I drink less coffee a week, and so I get real 4k and it's pretty good, pretty good
21: yeah i I'm um, um, when one of my TVs breaks I'll find out. I'm just not that I'm not that interested I don't want to watch very much TV I really don't I listen to more TV than I watch I watch some TV I went to the movies yesterday, day before yesterday I don't go to the movies very much but I did and I saw Black Panther, and it was great. Everybody should go see it. I will make
1: a note of that.
21: Duly noted.
1: I wait till, so, it's, you know, on, I wait till it's on Netflix or free TV.
21: So you know that March 31st was World Backup Day, right? World Backup Day. Can we back up and do it again? International Backup Day. World, International World Backup Day. Stop. Can we go back to re-celebrate Backup Day? Well, no, but if you missed it, you should celebrate it uh, posthumously after it's passed. <laughs> after it's passing. Or why don't you celebrate it backwards? Well, if you want to wait till next year, you can. But in the meantime, you're likely to lose all your, all your good stuff because people who don't back up lose all their data. It's not an if, it's a when.
1: Or a when that you can be... No, I'd like to go backwards. There are a few things I like to redo that I did a few years ago that I just can't wait to do
21: again. Did you back them up?
1: Well, I can talk backwards. Can I do that? The Beatles used to do that. They used to play music
21: backwards. Is that like playing music backwards like the Beatles did? Backwards masking? Um, no, and Paul isn't dead yet. How do you know? Um, I saw him on TV not too long ago. I know, I know. It could be uh, one of those hologram things, but... I think it was him. Sir Paul. Sir
1: Paul is not Sir Paul. It's Sir Paul's clone. More to come on the Tech Night Out Live.
12: Thank you for listening to GCN.
22: Welcome back to Get Night Out Live, where you never know what's
11: going to happen next. And now, it's Uncle Gene.
0: Yeah, it's him.
1: Speaking of uh, cord cutting, one thing I learned, I am a half a cord cutter right now, because... I'm in this new place, and we're going through a merry chase with DirecTV to set up the service. Even the cheapest service they offer, I don't want the expensive stuff. I want the cheap service with the basic stations that we watch and the locals. And until we get this done, we've been watching Netflix. And so a lot of the shows that my wife watches, she likes to see repeats of older shows that she really likes. And so we find them on Netflix and we can watch them now with better video quality. We could watch them now with out commercials. And they just continue one after the other. And suddenly we are, temporarily at least, court cutters. Actually not a court cutter because the way this place is set up, we're piggybacking on somebody else's internet, the upstairs person. And then after that, they have the whole dwelling wired for internet. For with Ethernet plugs in different rooms. With a little bit of finagling, we can set it up so that the TV Ethernet connection can go right to the wall socket. We don't have to have Wi Fi for that and get better quality. So you know, even though it's cheap. I like that. You know, I've lived in another place where they had standard free internet. It wasn't the best internet, but standard and free, which makes it excellent. And they had free dish network. And between the two of them and a bunch of other stuff like brand new insulation, we saved hundreds of dollars. You don't realize when you look at the rent of a a property that it's not just the rent and maybe the local tax or fees, it is your internet, it is your TV. It is, unless you use an antenna, it is your electric bill. If it's well insulated, the electric bill goes way down. I lived in a very cheap place, Bob. Like hundreds of dollars a month, a manufactured home. No insulation. The electric bill was four to $500 a month in the summer in Arizona at 120 Object lesson. See, he left us. I didn't all. leave you. I'm here. Well, at least someone is, hey, well, there we go. Question here. Question here. The story out here now that Apple won't have the next Mac Pro out until 2019. Why does it take so long to build a modular computer? Apple's been doing that for 100 years.
21: Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, engineering resources, you know takes a lot of people to build iPhones.
1: Yeah, but they can hire a few more people.
21: Apple's got money. No, they can't, though. They, they can't because there's not enough engineers. We've, we've hired them all, and we can't get any more from India or China. So we're in trouble. And, and their cost of good engineers is just going up 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 you hear that out there kids be an engineer get rich
1: we're all in the wrong business here so if you become an engineer knowing that engineers are in short supply and they won't import them from china or somewhere because there are immigration restrictions that weren't there before but now they are (laughs) that's true uh-oh. So
21: I have something for your listeners. I'm going to uh, be in honor of World Backup Day, which was last two weeks ago. But because we weren't, I wasn't on your show right before that. I'm going to offer <clears throat> the first three Tech Night Owl Live listeners to enroll using coupon code Tech Night Owl uh, in the backup course. Absolutely free. Absolutely free. You can take my little backup course. And you won't pay a penny. The first three of you to sign up, I'm sending Gene the uh, URL now, he'll do something with it. I don't know, put it in the show notes or something. The website. We'll we'll figure out something. I think it's better, it's more fun. I'll tell
1: you what, you write this show. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a one paragraph show note about what we're talking about. That's your assignment. Should you decide to accept it and you have no choice. You will write those show notes for your appearance. It's got to be like six, seven lines, okay? And you'll send it to me right away with the coupon code, and I'll put it up there, verbatim, minus misspellings or grammatical errors. How's that? Such a deal?
21: Deal. We're on.
1: Okay, good. We'll cement that deal. Such a deal. It's the art of the real deal. You've heard of the art of the deal. Well, this is the art of the such a deal. That's a good one. Will you make it Jewish? <laughs> right, that kind of thing. The art of such a deal. That work?
21: Okay. The art of such a deal. No, I don't want that. With Forget that. about the words art of. How about the such a deal? The such a deal. I like it. You got to say it like you're from New York. Or Florida.
1: Well, such a deal. I'm not, I've never only been to Florida a few times, so I haven't really learned that. How about well, such a deal? No, like New Yorkers, wait, sir, that's the thing, Mister Levitis. Professor um, Levitis. oh, Doctor Levitis, whatever it is. Here it is. Such a deal. Let's
21: try a couple. Of you see if you can do better than I can.
1: Hey, such a
21: deal. I'll tell you the truth. I'm thinking more like Mel Brooks. You know, such a deal. Uh, Such a deal? uh, I don't want a deal. A deal pickle? Free. Everybody loves free. The first three of your listeners to take advantage of my offer will get the backup course absolutely free. They get a backup? Such a deal. They will. After they get done watching the course, they will because I, I... basically tell them if they don't do what i tell them they're going to lose all of their stuff all of their photos all of their music all of their videos
1: you know since we're doing ridiculous jewish references here i had a internet installer some time back really nice guy named paul not the paul from used to be from verizon And now is on Sprint's. The one who said, "Can you hear me now?" No, not not that Paul. And he said, "You're Jewish, aren't you?" And I said, "Yeah." And we were just, you know, pleasant guy. And he says, "You know, I'm Mexican. Actually, my grandparents came from Mexico." And I said, "Okay, my grandparents on my mother's side came from Russia." And he says, "Well, you know, I do. I sometimes call myself Mexicanish, as Jewish Mexicanish." Why can't people be like that anymore, where you celebrate your heritage and you have fun? I mean, this guy was a great guy. I mean, he was, gave me his cell number. Look, you got a problem. You call me directly. Why can't we have people like that?
21: Who says we don't? Well, not as Everyone much. I know is like that. Everyone I know is like that. You just uh, must be different in Arizona. Well, you know, there aren't that
1: many Jewish people in Arizona, I don't think. We do have a semi-kosher deli here called Champies.
21: <laughs> Kosher style. Well, they are Jewish.
1: They're from New York, from Queens, actually. The Borensteins, they're worth a lot of money because they also sell bakery items like bagels to local supermarkets like the fries, which is part of the Kroger chain. You want to get genuine, semi-fake kosher bagels. They have it. It's amazing. I don't know how a technology show does this. Why are we sitting here talking about bagels? You started it. Don't don't look at me. I can't look at you. All I see is this hard picture with your men in black glasses. He's one of the men in black, the galaxy protectors. We have Bob, Dr. Mac Levitas. I'm Gene Steinberg. More excitement to come. Excitement like you've never had before. I'm the Tech Night Owl Live.
3: Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget.
23: Join me, George Nori, in Indian Wells, California, for the sixth annual Contact in the Desert UFO Conference, June 1st through the 4th. Contact in the Desert is an epic weekend of adventure filled with exciting explorations into ancient aliens, human origins, crop circles, UFO sightings, disclosure, and the newest evidence of ongoing contact. This amazing weekend offers more than 50 lectures, 40 workshops, 8 exciting panels, and special events. Contact in the Desert features leading experts, including me, George. Norrie, Giorgio Sukalos, David Wilcock, Linda Moulton Howe, Michael Tellinger, Eric Von Donegan, Corey Good, Doc Wallach, and many more important researchers and scientists in the field. With a breaking New York Times story, disclosure of the Pentagon's mysterious UFO program, Contact in the Desert is the place to go to see the inside track. Join us at contactinthedesert.com or call 760-660-8484. That's contactinthedesert.com.
9: With uncertain times in the United States, it's only prudent to consider storing precious metals in a safe place outside our borders. And Miles Franklin, we have done just that for you. Partnered with the most respected storage company in the industry, Miles Franklin is proud to offer the only fully insured private safe deposit box program in North America held in Vancouver and Toronto. Send us your previously purchased precious metals or have one of our brokers help you purchase something new. Questions? Please call one of our experienced brokers at 866 485 Five four three four six. Solid foundational storage partnered with the most respected name in security, maintaining an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, and residing in Minnesota, the only state in America that regulates the precious metals industry, making doing business in precious metals with Miles Franklin the safest choice. Call us at 866-485-4346. Again, that's 866-485-4346.
13: Miles Franklin Limited, a name you can trust. Face it, today's electric power grid is more vulnerable than ever. From natural disasters to EMP attacks and hacking, the grid could be crippled for days or even decades in the most dire scenarios. Visit quantumharvest.net to see our built-to-last EMP-protected solar power systems. While millions suffer, you'll have vital power for water pumps, refrigeration, and sanitation. Now that's peace of mind. EMP-protected solar power systems for every need and budget. See our full range at quantumharvest.net.
11: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at Tech That's news at Tech If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com.
1: People say I don't boast about this show enough, so I decided more excitement than you could even possibly... No, I don't want to get...
21: Boy,
1: they. yourself. Let's get back to this, because you had purchased my Mac Pro years ago, my 2008 Mac Pro. I remember, remember that. And yes.
21: And it lasted well. I mean, do you still have it, or is it long gone? No, no, no. It's It's been... About, I think, four or five years ago, I decided I wanted only to have one computer, so I bought a, you know, medium to orienting towards high end of the 2015 MacBook Pro line, you know, before the the little touch bar thing. And uh, 16 gigs of RAM, and it's got Thunderbolt, and basically... You know, I have a dock here that everything is plugged into so I can, when I have to leave, just unplug a couple of things and out the door without having to really think too much about do I have the right files on this computer that I'm taking with me because it's the computer I'm using most of the day. So, you know, I have external disks and I store things on them that I won't need when I'm out. So it's easy for me to just jump up. So yeah, about, I guess, five or six years ago, I went from two computers to one computer. Then I bought another computer. <laughs> but it was too hard to disconnect the two cables, so I bought a MacBook Air to travel with. Now, let me tell you our situation here. I have a
1: 2010 MacBook Pro, 17-inch. It's been modified with a solid-state drive and more memory, 8 gigabytes. It actually works pretty well, even with High Sierra. I don't use it much. The reason is because I'm sitting here like a hermit at home with a 27-inch iMac. Now, I took this about 10 different places because for various reasons explained in my newsletters, I don't want to get into it here. I don't have the patience. I can't look at a tiny screen. 17 inches is a tiny screen to me. I know a lot of people don't. 27 inches. Got to have the 27 inches.
21: Oh, gosh. You wouldn't even be able to find my 11-inch MacBook Air. You wouldn't even be able to find it, much less see its screen. That's so tiny. But I don't mind it. You know, it's perfect for airplanes. And really, when I travel, I don't generally need to do things like edit video. So even the MacBook Air, for the most part, It's sufficient for the things I need to do when I'm on the road, which is mostly email and reading the local newspaper and and stuff that you can do on an 11-inch screen. In fact, I could probably travel with just an iPad and be okay. Hey, that's a thought. Maybe I should get rid of the Mac. Well, I like having a real keyboard,
1: MacBook Air. I can't do that for a lot of reasons. Number one, I hate, with a passion, the keyboards that are made for iPads, number one. Obviously, the small screen. I think back, the first Power Books had smaller screens than the current mainstream iPads. And then the worst problem is, I can't do these shows that way. I'm using Audio Hijack. Apple's sandboxing requirements would not allow me to get an application like that. I think if you called Paul Cavassis of Amoeba and said, if they allowed it on iOS would you make an audio hijack variation for iPad? I bet they'd say sure. This is something I want to ask you about, Bob. A couple of things. There's a story now saying that eventually you'll be able to run iPad apps on a Mac and Mac apps on iPad because of the way they're going to modify development. Is that true?
21: I find I find that difficult to believe. I don't know where the equity is in that, you know. A Mac kind of assumes a pointing device and keyboard, whereas iOS does not. And I don't think developers are going to go back and change a lot of things to make it possible to run a Mac app. Do you remember the dual binaries in the early days of uh, the transition to PowerPC? And the fat binaries from PowerPC. That's what I mean.
1: Fat Yeah. the way Apple designs its operating system now, that's not even a difficult thing. It's very easy because it's a portable operating system. That's why they actually had an Intel version of Next Step.
21: Say you're an iOS developer, and all of a sudden Apple says, hey, you can run iOS apps on a Mac, but you should do these you know, 17 things to ensure that it runs well on a Mac. And the developer goes, I don't care about Mac. I'm an iOS developer, doesn't do anything. And yeah, you have an app that will launch and ostensibly work on a Mac, but the experience isn't going to be pleasant if if the developer doesn't take care to uh, cater to both constituencies. On an iPad or an iPhone, you can't assume uh, a keyboard. And the pointing device is either your finger or an Apple Pencil or other stylus. But and remember here, when you develop an iOS
1: app, app, you're doing it on a Mac and you're emulating the environment to fine tune your app. You're not designing it on an iPad. You're designing it on a Mac. So from that extent, being able to run iOS apps on a Mac should not be a serious deal. Going the reverse maybe for a while. But in terms of CPU horsepower, the latest processors for iPads and iPhones have no problem on driving in terms of the power driving Mac software
21: at all. Yeah, but there's so many things that you really want a real keyboard and a real pointing device and the ability to switch back and forth between them and the ability, you know, the thing that the the thing. On your iPad or iPhone, you can't really multitask, right? You have some sort of quasi multitasking, but pretty much you can have one or two things on your screen at once, but not seven. On a Mac, you can arrange the windows or spaces, however you like them, and have multiple things right in front of you all the time. You can't do that. And really, iOS apps aren't designed to be run that way in a windowed environment. I just think it's not going to happen. I, I just, I don't see any, any real big upside for it. You're already developing the same, I mean, use the same development environment. If you want a Mac app, you can write most of it to run on any platform and then finish either an iOS or a Mac app, and that works pretty well. I, I don't know, you know, what's the what would be the advantage of having one bigger piece of code? Look at numbers and, and uh, Keynote and, and, well, I'd say iMovie, but iMovie on iOS isn't that good. <laughs> but Keynote and uh, Pages and Numbers, I think, are pretty good examples of the same kind of underlying code running in two different environments as two different apps. Yeah, sure, you could make that one thing if you if you had to, but why? In that case, it's free, but... Uh, what if you sell it you know it's like so you now you go from selling two versions at a certain price point to only selling one version that people can use on two devices whether you like it or not so i don't know i don't think it's going to happen should we we make a wager no okay
1: because i don't think it'll happen either we're going to break here on the tech night out live
12: For listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
17: Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, Get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653, 877-886-3653, GoBerkey.com. Face it,
13: today's electric power grid is more vulnerable than ever. From natural disasters to EMP attacks and hacking, the grid could be crippled for days or even decades in the most dire scenarios. Visit quantumharvest.net to see our built-to-last EMP-protected solar power systems. While millions suffer, you'll have vital power for water pumps, refrigeration, and sanitation. Now that's peace of mind. EMP-protected solar power systems for every need and budget. See our full range at quantumharvest.net.
5: Message and data rates may apply.
10: Remembering when to change your fridge filter is a hassle. Remembering the right filter is almost impossible. So at Filters Fast, we have some good advice. Forget it. Instead, remember this. Text BEST33 to 443, 443 and check fridge filters off your to-do list forever. Get it all taken care of for a fraction of big box store prices with a Filters Fast brand filter. Text BEST33 to 443-443. That's B-E-S-T-33 to 443-443. Hi, Peter
24: Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE
22: Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. Have you ever wondered why farmers can keep their livestock lean and healthy just by feeding them minerals in a nutrient-dense diet? Before markets, they cut off their minerals, leaving them to crave high-calorie grains to fatten them up. So if weight control is this easy, why does the medical system prescribe invasive surgical gastric bypass for humans? The truth be told, according to research, you can avoid over 900 different diseases just by getting 90 essential nutrients daily. Check us out on the web at sonsoflibertyteam.com and order your Healthy Start Pack and get your 90 for Life. Or dial 855-301-TEAM. I said essential, not optional, and every day. Easy. 90 for Life on the web at sonsoflibertyteam.com or call 855-301-TEAM. That's 855-301-TEAM. That's 855-301-TEAM. Check us out on the web at sonsoflibertyteam.com at sonsoflibertyteam.com.
7: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
1: What are we talking about? What are we talking about? Okay, here's what we're talking about. It seems here that the rumors about Apple switching processors, yet again, this time from Intel to ARM, have arisen. There's lots to talk about there. What do you think?
21: Well, here's the thing. It's been nice having Intel processors, not, not to me, but to people who need to run uh, Windows or other environments, the fact that their Mac has, you know, pretty standard uh, iron inside it is a good thing and makes it possible for people to run windows on a mac right i don't know how possible that is if apple goes to an arm processor i don't know how well you'll be able to run windows on your mac hardware and i think there's a pretty good subset of mac users that that's important to, and i don't think apple wants to lose a big chunk of the mac and uh the mac community because they can no longer buy a machine that that runs windows acceptably I, I i never thought i'd say that but i think that might be part of why apple gets away with charging so much for its machines because you can't do it the other way you can't buy a dell and run mac os but you can buy a mac and run dell os which is windows
1: that's a big thing there that portability of operating systems. And I think one of the things that really helped the Mac when they went to Intel other than have more availability of processors and other components that work in an Intel environment, one of the things that made it good was the fact that they had Boot Camp. And then they had Parallels Desktop. The ability to run Windows with high performance almost all the way there or natively. And that was a big thing is a lot of people like that, having the multiple processors, especially in the early days of switching the Windows. Heck, we can run both. We have a computer that runs both. However, there's also the Hackintosh. And the Hackintosh is taking,
21: oh, come on. The Hackintosh is, it's a joke. It's nobody but a complete and total geek would even attempt it, much less try to keep it running for more than one operating system upgrade. So, for example,
1: Rob Griffiths and our good friend Kirk McElhern.
21: They're, they're, and Dave Hamilton. They're all geeks. These guys, if they can keep the, the Hackintoshes running uh, across, you know, a couple operating system upgrades and guarantee that everything works properly, I don't know. It's just, it's so much effort and so little reward because. What's your time worth? If it takes you, you know, 30 hours every six months to get stuff working, well, that's, a, that's almost a full work week that you lose to making your Hackintosh act like a Mac.
1: Think about spending 12 hours talking to AT&T and CenturyLink.
21: Oh, I would never do that. I would never do that. I've like had such odysseys. Where... Now, CenturyLink, I can always
1: find somebody nice, like Paul. Nice guy. But AT&T, when you reach a point where the executive customer service people are ready to hang up on you, just for asking simple questions, you wonder about this company. Really wonder. And they each say, um, the last resort, there's nobody else. And I always find somebody else to talk to. I always find somebody else. Give me your manager. Give me your manager's managers. Give me somebody else. They want to get rid of you. They're aching to get rid of you. And I will go someday. I mean, there's that point of no return where I might find such a deal. I'm not. That's about Verizon. I worry about Sprint. But T-Mobile, you know, if they do a few changes, they give me an AARP discount. Do they, T-Mobile? I don't know. That's going to be an interesting little thing there. All right. So, forget about the Hackintosh. The issue with an ARM-based Mac is the Intel emulation. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do something like Rosetta where we had PowerPC to Intel. That might do it. But running Windows on a Mac on ARM is not going to be really good unless they found some super way to emulate the processor instructions in hardware. And I suppose they could license technology from Intel to do this. Maybe even make a deal that Intel fabricates the ARM chips that are made for Macs. And maybe they can do that. Because certainly the potential of Apple's chip is incredible. Because when... This is a thing that I don't think you disagree with me about, Bob. The annual performance improvements, except for rare years, of Intel processor year over year is like a few percent. You barely notice it. Like, I think the... 2010 MacBook Pro compared to the 2018, what is it, about
21: 50-60%? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. That's eight years.
1: Whereas Apple, every year they're saying our processor is 40% Twice fast. as fast. Or twice as fast, or 40%, whatever. And they're still doing that. And they've reached the point now where the A series processor is reached a point now where it's as fast as most mainstream notebooks. The fastest MacBook Pro is not, but close. How many years will it take for Apple to soar past Intel? And the reason they can do this is not just because they have better people, it's because Intel processors have years and years of legacy stuff that they have to keep using because they have to have backward support. Whereas Apple, they only have to support their own stuff. They don't need all the extra weight. That's correct. So at the end of the day... They're not going to do it. I, you don't think they'll do it? No. Nope. I know they're going to add support for low level.
21: Well, and I think that they may end up with a a co-processor that lets them do things that would otherwise be impossible or require, you know, uh, a chip that Intel is never going to make. I think that might happen because, from what I understand, the ARM processors are significantly less expensive to manufacture compared to what they have to pay Intel even for huge quantities. So maybe that they could do, you know, a... uh, co-thing co that would let you do a lot of the things you're, you're hoping for without all the downside of not running other OS as well. We'll see. You know, it makes sense for them to only use their own processors, just like having them build the whole widget um, lets them do things that were difficult for PC manufacturers for a long time. You know, things like the built-in camera and communication software that worked with it and uh, DVD burning and, you know, things that we've always taken for granted that were for a long time difficult on a PC. And that's all I have to say. There's
1: a thing here where Apple's already doing some of that by putting low-level functions on A-series processors on the iMac Pro and the new MacBook Pro. Well, there you go.
18: So they might, that might be where they'll go.
1: That might be just as far as they'll go is they'll put that on there. But I can't believe that they won't keep going to Intel in the back of their mind, going, in other words, moving, quitting Intel, ditching Intel in the back of their minds, because there's already Macs running on ARM processors inside Apple. We know that there's no surprise about that. They're going to keep that in the back of their minds just in case the need arises. And if they can speed far enough past Intel with generic processors, they might be able to provide emulation without much loss. And if they can hey, do that, about, that might work. About, We've got more to come. I'm going to ask for the comment from Bob Levitas in our next segment of the Tech Night Now Live.
0: Mm-hmm.
12: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
1: As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer?
13: face it today's electric power grid is more vulnerable than ever from natural disasters to emp attacks and hacking the grid could be crippled for days or even decades in the most dire scenarios visit quantumharvest.net to see our built-to-last emp protected solar power systems while millions suffer you'll have vital power for water pumps refrigeration and sanitation now that's peace of mind emp protected solar power systems for every need and budget see our full range at quantumharvest.net you're listening to the Tech Night Owl
7: live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: So, Bob
21: Levitis, you are champing at the bit to respond. I have yeah, I think it's all a negotiating ploy to get better prices out of Intel. And, of course, uh, if the ARM chip is as good as everyone seems to think at doing mac stuff, maybe they could go to AMD and get a chip that emulates the Intel chip faster for cheaper and use the ARM as the main processor. I don't know. ARM does have processors that they
1: claim will match or come close to matching intel for half the price
21: well if that's the case and they can strap that on to an a11 or a whatever the latest a is a a13 what, what is the latest a? a11 A i think if they could strap that onto the back of the a11 and put that in a mac and make it so everything i have still works that would be good
1: a, a two processor works, machine that works in culture of one another If an AMD processor piggybacked on an ARM processor, is that what we're talking about That
21: might be cheaper. No, I thought you were talking about ARM processors. I'm
1: thinking of a Mac on ARM. But the issue here is the emulation for Intel. And if Apple could find a way to do that in hardware, maybe pushing all of it to the graphics processors, pushing all the Intel commands to the graphics processors so they can emulate it at a much faster speed. And then they can say... We'll still run Intel apps, but the speed performance hit will be minimal or none. So you'll still be able to run boot camp. You'll still be able to run parallels and not notice a real big difference. Doesn't that explain not,
21: everything? Not that I care. I just care that my Mac stuff runs as well as or better. Okay. I don't use Windows, you know. It's that I, I, I bring up that argument because it's, it's a real-world thing for a lot of people, but not me. I could care less if it runs Windows. If I could buy it for less with, hey, this one doesn't run Windows, but it's 400 less dollars, that's the one I'd buy because I, I have no need to run Windows. I wonder how many people do. I think a
1: fairly big number still do, especially because so many companies are switching to Macs. We look at all the big companies now, IBM, for example, and HP is leasing or, or offering subscriptions to their customers where they can get a Mac, an iPhone or an hp windows computer that kind of thing and we have companies like walmart and delta airlines switching to mac or to ipads and there has to be a transition period and that sort of transition is really really simple if you got boot camp and parallels or
21: vmware are they still around vmware i think they are yeah no okay i see like i said i don't use windows i'm not i don't keep up on that stuff I stopped trying to review it a long time ago because I don't have any Windows software to use with it, and I don't know what it would run like on a real Windows machine anyway and so I'm probably the worst reviewer for emulation software so I stopped following it and stopped trying to review it ten years ago five years ago eight years ago something long time ago when you were still young, sounds like a line from a song when you were
1: young, and you
21: know you know what song' you don't that want that was, to right? do that yeah. You don't want to live and let die. Live and let die.
1: I would challenge anyone, by the way, I challenge anyone to look at the lyrics for live and let die. Okay? Look at the lyrics and tell me what they mean. You see, he can't do it. Or no. unc- or the other one, Uncle Albert oh, Admiral, or this one, Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey, also from Paul McCartney. Take a look at those lyrics. And tell me what they mean. Do songs have to mean things? Like here, here's a lyric from Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey. We're so sorry, but we haven't heard a thing all day. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert, but if anything should happen, we'll be sure to give a ring. What? So. there's And many things, hands across the water, heads across the sky, hands across the water, heads across the sky.
21: What does that mean? That's imagery you're supposed to visualize.
1: Well, I have an image. I have an image of Paul McCartney writing a dumb lyric.
21: Using dollar signs for S's. Well, let's see here. Just to give you an example.
1: The Beatles sold 170 million albums so far because they're still selling albums. Paul McCartney all by his lonesome doing songs that in some ways are similar to Beatles songs. He takes his Beatle chops. So in a way, he's giving you some of the Beatles as they might have been had they continued, Paul McCartney alone. He sold over 100 million albums just by himself. That's not bad.
21: Oh, nobody denies the talent nobody denies what i was reading here which is more interesting he wrote a lot of silly love songs yes he did
1: but he also plays like how many instruments does paul mccartney play
21: um i don't think anybody's ever counted but he plays a lot he can play a lot like for example dear prudence the uh,
1: john lennon song won't you come out and play you know dear prudence Mm -hmm. who played those drums ringo or paul Probably, Paul. The thing here that Paul McCartney would do, and I was reading up on this, is that he's a super perfectionist. So after everybody would leave, he'd go back, listen to the recordings, he'd overdub things. He'd overdub the drums. You know, for example, the ballad of John and Yoko, where they say that word, you know, it ain't easy, where all the radio stations banned it because of that word. And because they took the Lord's name in vain. And... That, all the instruments were played by John and Paul, probably mostly Paul. That was the one thing nobody, you know, like Ringo Starr can play three chords on a piano or a guitar, and then he's a drummer. But Paul McCartney can play all these parts. You know, and in a way there, he's like some other artists who could do that, songwriters, singers. Do so, you know, like the late Bobby Darren could play lots of instruments. Remember Todd remember Rundgren. Bobby Darren? I think he was nominated for an Oscar don't, for Best Supporting Actor. Don't know if he won. He wrote all these songs, not just Splish Splash. I um, was taking a bath. He wrote songs. He was kind of a jazz, Frank Sinatra kind of style singer. He played numerous instruments. I remember this is he died of a heart condition in his late 30s, congenital heart condition in his late 30s. And you see him on TV where he does imitations. And then he get before... The band and replace all the band members playing the instruments amazing amazing instrumentalists in a way paul mccartney is that although paul mccartney was not much of an actor bob levitas tell our listeners where they can find more of your great stuff
21: that would be at working Smarter for
1: the one and only place all things bob you can find us on twitter look for tech night Owl. look for us on facebook as long as we last there because, you know, with Facebook and all the controversies, you never know. But we have two Facebook fan clubs for our other show, the Paracast. And I have a regular Facebook membership where you see Gene Steinberg with a red blood shirt. That's me. We also have a second radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night on the Paracast at Paracast.com. Our guests this week are Ben Moss and Tony Angiola, experts in looking after UFOs. And they appeared on the history channels. Hanger one tv show go to powercast.com we also offer a special version of this show free of the network ads if you're interested and i think you should be you also get better quality audio so bob Levitis sounds amazing i sound amazing. well amazing right maybe i'm amazed you'll say <clears throat> he'll sing that song from paul mccartney maybe i'm amazed when you hear bob me he'll say Anyway, whatever it is, we offer it for $1. forty-nine a week or $4.99 a month. To find out more, go to plus.technightow.com, P L U S dot Out.com. learn about Tech Night Out Plus, a version of the show free of the network ads. It's
21: been unusual, it's been real. I do have one more thing. What's that? If you visit my website, please scroll to the bottom of this, the page and click on the link to become a patron. You can then just send me money monthly. Thanks.
17: The Tech Night Owl Alive is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated, We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.